Okay, you should be in 1 Samuel by now, right? Okay, that's all my introductions of that. We've got to stay on track because we've got to get out and get ready for the next service. But I'm not going to water it down or lessen anything, so we've got to keep moving on. You know, we've been studying about the heroes of faith from Hebrews 11. And we talked about them. Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Jethro, all these people. Well, Samuel is the last one that it refers to specifically by name uh, as far as those people. Now, there's many others uh, that Hebrews 11 talks about, but in our specific verse, verse 32, uh, Samuel's one. So I'm going to wrap it up with Samuel for this series on faith. And then we'll start other series later on, but I want us to be clear about that. You know, years ago, uh, when a person wanted to use a telephone, they used to have operators that you would call, and then the operator would connect you to whoever you want to talk to. Uh, way back in the day, uh, I'm sorry, some of y'all may have been around uh, some time ago. Well, back then, there was a little boy that called the operator, and he wanted to make a phone call. But because he was so young, he didn't speak clearly. So he had to repeat the number like four or five times, and he just got frustrated with this operator. So finally, he just got so upset that he just blurted out, you operators are dumb, and he hung up the phone. Well, his mother heard him say that. So she pulled him aside, she started scolding him, she went back, she called the operator and made him apologize to her right then and there. So he apologized to the operator. Well, later on, his mom went out to do some errands, so he went over, he got back on the phone again. And he plugged back in and he said, are you the operator that I talked to earlier? And she said, yes. He said, I just want you to know, I still think you're dumb. And he hung up again. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody that just frustrated you? Like, oh, get out. Now, you're in church, so don't lie. Anybody, could be somebody in your family, could be your neighbor, co-worker. Has somebody ever just frustrated you uh, in, in your bones. I mean, even to the point where, you know, they would say things about you hoping to get on your nerves. If you've ever experienced that, I think you'll be able to relate to Samuel, because this is what we're going to talk about here today. First Samuel chapter 1. Now, Samuel had been a prophet of God since he was a young man. So I'm going to explain the story about that first. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. Once when, when he had finished eating and drinking in Silo, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she couldn't have a kid, Hannah, so she prayed to God and prayed to God, and if you bless him with a child, I will give him back to you. Look at verse 24, chapter 1, verse 24. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. 
For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. His mother had made a promise. If God will fulfill this vow, that she will return and give the boy to him. And she made good on her promise. And so she did it, and the priest Eli raised him in his household. But Eli wasn't a very good priest. And his sons served with him in the tabernacle. But his sons were really wicked men. Look in chapter 2, verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come to say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Here he is, the, the, the priest's sons, they were set up as they were making sacrifices. They decided, you know what, we can wait and let all this good stuff be boiled off, which was to be sacrificed to God, and take what's left over, or we can go ahead and dip on in there a little bit early and get what we want to get. So in other words, they were taking the best for themselves and giving God the leftovers. It'd be kind of like making change in the contribution. But their sacrifice was very, very disturbing to God. Look in verse 22. Now Eli was very old. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not good, a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in statue and in favor with the Lord and with men. So they continued, even though their dad said something to them, they continued to do what they wanted to do. So the Lord told Eli this. Look in verse 34. Chapter 2, verse 34. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mine. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread, and please appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. He said, listen, this is how your sons are acting. So you know what? 
I'm going to kill him. Not just them, but everybody in your family line is going to have to die now because of what happened then. So God raised up Samuel. Now here's the thing. Samuel was raised in the same household, but yet he did what was right. He didn't have to go the same route as the other guys. He said, regardless of what anybody around me does, I can still have a personal relationship with God. It's not about everybody else. So Samuel served God as a prophet, as a judge, as a leader of the people. So now let's go to chapter 8. And this is why Samuel is in the hall of faith. I want to point out several things about Samuel that made him the type of person he was that God says, I respect you and you need to be an example for everybody that reads the Bible from now on. The first thing about Samuel that put him in the hall of faith is this. Samuel was faithful in his walk with God. Samuel was faithful in his walk with God. Again, even though his own family members that well, he was raised up with were doing wrong, he chose to do what's right. Look in verse 1, 1 Samuel 8, verse 1. Now Samuel's old at this time. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. You see at this point, it doesn't say exactly how old Samuel was, but he was an old man at this point. And yet, you can look at this and think, man, his kids turned out just like Eli's kids turned out. But if you look at verse 3, I disagree with that because it says, but his sons did not walk in his ways. See, Samuel continued to walk with God despite what anybody else did around him. And now he not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. So his sons, as they grew up, they made a conscious decision not to walk in the ways that they saw in his dad. So it wasn't Samuel's fault because they grew up and made a decision on how they want to live their life. In their minds, they're thinking, dad is wasting his life. He's given all his time to the temple, all his money to the temple. If he would only learn to be a little shady on the side, he could make some good money up in here. He can have all these things. See, that's their conscious decision that they made. And people may say that even about you. Why are you spending so much time in church? Why are you giving money to church? Why are you doing all this? Even times your kids may even think you're spending too much time with church. I don't understand what you're doing. What is your problem? Don't you realize there's a big world out there that we could be living in? Little do they know, if we didn't spend that much time in church, we probably wouldn't be married. You probably wouldn't be living in this house because we'd be separated. We'd probably be in jail. You don't realize that church has helped me be where I'm at. But in young minds, they had their own vision for the way things should be. So... Even if our kids go astray, start to do some crazy stuff, it does not mean you're a bad parent or a bad Christian, a bad disciple. You walk in the ways of the Lord. If they make that conscious decision, that is on them. God will deal with it, but it doesn't mean you're at fault if you're walking right with the Lord. Because at some point they'll realize the world is beating me down, 
But I remember what mom and dad used to do. I remember what my mom, as a single mom, how hard she kept going to church, taking those buses and trains in the snow. I remember what she used to do. And you know what? It had clicked with them. And just as the Bible said, they may stray and go away, but you know what? They will come right back because they know which way to go. Don't lose heart. If your kids or your family members or your spouse starts to go off and do something crazy, you know what? You stay the course like Samuel did. But everybody, everybody, it says all Israel knew what was going on. So they they even knew what was going on with Samuel's kids. I mean, he is the priest. There's things that my kids do. Y'all know what my kids do. I love them, but they baby kids at times. But hey, you see something? Correct it. I got a lot to do. I can't do everything. Help me with them things. So everybody knows what's going on. So you know what they do? The town comes together. And they make a little posse. And they're going to go confront Samuel. Look at what happens here in verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in the ways now, in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, here's the thing. Samuel had been serving all his life these people. And now, all of a sudden, they come up to him. And they're not coming up to him to say, Samuel, you need to confront your son. Samuel, you need to replace your son. They come up there and say, you know what? We don't want your son, and we don't want you. Give us a king like everybody else has. Now, you've got to think of how he must have felt. In other words, You've been working hard, but we're tired of you, old man. And we're tired of them little stank kids you got, too. We don't want none of them around. We want a king. Now, the very next verse is the key to our sermon today. Look at verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done for all the day, I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. This is amazing. Because you know Samuel is hurt. He served so long serving the people, helping their marriages, their families, helping them personally. And now they're saying, we don't want you. We don't want your family. We don't even want you here. Get out. Now, you know, this wasn't just a simple conversation. You know they had meetings before this delegation came. Because they had to know where we're going to meet at, what time we're going over there. They had to have some kind of discussion beforehand. So they're discussing all this thing about Samuel and his family. And you know, word's going to get back to Samuel somehow, way. So he even heard some rumblings even before they came to his house. And you can just imagine how hurt he must have been. So he prayed to God. 
because his feelings were hurt. And many times we pray to God because we're hurt and we want God to relieve our pain, to deal with our enemies, to crush them, to do whatever. But God says, you know what, Samuel? This isn't even about you. This is about me. Don't take it personal. So you got to think, wait a minute, they just said we don't want you or your family, but I'm not supposed to take that personal? God says, no, you're not. Don't take it personal. Because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And you got to say, well, that, that just seems kind of intense. But God tells him, don't take it personal. Now why, now why would God say that? Well, Israelites didn't elect Samuel. God instilled Samuel. So to reject Samuel is to reject God. And so this is what he said. Listen, it's not about you. It's about me. They haven't been listening to me the whole time anyway. But you have to stop taking it personally and look at it spiritually, Samuel. And once you grasp that, you will be able to let it go and realize it's me that they're rejecting and not you. This is so important for us to understand. Samuel walked closely with God. And he walked so close that he was able to have that kind of discussion, that kind of conversation with God, that kind of understanding brought back to him. Now the second thing I want to point out about Samuel is this. We have the same God that Samuel had. The exact same God. He didn't have a different one. It's only one God. And the same advice he gave Samuel, he gives you and me today. When you share your faith and people say, no, thank you, get out of my faith, I'm too busy, don't take it personal. They're not telling you that, they're telling God that because God sent you to talk to them. When your family says, why are you going to church? Why in the world are you going to Rhode Island? For a conference. Ain't there conferences here in the Bronx? What's wrong with you? You know what? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. If God is saying, okay, come up here, and you're like, man, I'm going up there to worship God with 4,000 other family members, and they say, that's crazy. They're saying God's crazy. Not You're crazy. You know what? When you're trying to help a brother or sister in the church, and you go to them, and you confront them about sin, and if they don't repent humbly, thank you, I'm going to change this. Instead, they get upset and defensive and argument happens. Don't take it personal. You know what? They're not telling you. They're telling God. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Now, I'm not saying we're God, but if God's working through us and we're showing us scriptures and pointing things out and they don't listen, then you know what? They're rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. But here's what happens sometimes. We get caught up in our feelings. You said, what to me? I'm just trying to help you, and you got to get all stank attitude with me. We get angry with people. You know what? I ain't going to try anymore. Go on. Ruin your marriage. Go on. Let your kids. We'll catch you 10 years later on. We'll see. I'll visit them every 10 years, but I ain't going to do that. I know where they're going to be at, too. 10 years of life, but I ain't going to worry about it. See, when people do something, we get all angry. We get in our feelings. We want to retaliate. And God is saying, why? Do you realize you're unspiritual when you get like that? Why? Because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. They're saying, I don't want to hear what you got to say. 
Even though you may be right, there may be a possibility. I don't want to hear it anyway. See, that's a scary thing. But that's where some people are. But we cannot respond in a worldly way. We need to respond like Samuel. Look at what Jesus said. Look at Luke chapter 6. Let me show you something here. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. We're starting verse 27 through 31. Sorry, I'm going to switch the scriptures on y'all a little bit. But I tell you, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you will have them do unto you. This is Jesus' word. Now, let's be honest. When we first start reading this, we think, if I start doing that, they're going to take advantage of me, and then I ain't going to have nothing left, and then I'm going to be begging. I ain't giving up nothing. We immediately get to protective mode and this and that. But you know what? If God is saying, okay, this is how we need to act. Now, he's not saying, just go give me your car keys, here are the keys in my house, take my refrigerator. That's a little extreme. But if your brother or sister is in need of something, we do need to talk to them about it. You know what? We can help them out. And maybe as you're helping them out, talk to them about how did you get in this situation and how to correct the situation as you're helping them out in that situation. It doesn't mean you ignore them. It doesn't mean you just, oh, just take whatever you want. I'm going to help you through this because you need to learn to not get back in this same spot again. But he says, why do you just treat people good who treat you good? What reward is that? Look at what he says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to, to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You know what? We have to learn this. And it's a, it's a way of thinking. You know, I finally adjusted. We've been here 11 months. Woo! I've just learned that everybody behind me honking at that light, blow them off. I ain't even worried about them. Because I don't have a drag racing car, and just because you want me to go right when it turns green don't mean I'm going right when it turns green. So just sit back there and get used to your horn. Because I ain't moving because you ain't paying my ticket or my insurance as it goes up. So why am I going to act a fool because you acting a fool? But that took me some time to do it because people start honking. I'm looking around like, who is that? What they want? My neck start hurting. I'm like, oh, man. Now it's like, nah, nah, you just going to wait. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
So I had to control myself because I, at first I was getting real angry real fast. Real fast. And I didn't know all the, the rules in New York is different in Kansas. I ain't, I, uh, I'm, gonna, I, I'm learning to tame the tongue. I'm, I'm not going to go there. But many times we go to that ungodly place because we forget one important thing. Let me show you what that is. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You know, I see so many times we forget we were bought at a price. We're not our own. God bought us, and then he commissioned us to go out and to spread the good news. Now, if you don't go out and spread the good news, you've got to ask yourself, did God buy me? Did he purchase me? If he did and I belong to him, why am I not doing what he asked me to do? You know, your kids grow up in your house and you ask them to clean their room and wash dishes or whatever. You expect it because they're your kids living in your house. So if we're God's kids living in his house, how much more does he expect the same from us? All the amens got a little quiet for a minute there. Start talking about sharing your faith. We just forget what in the world's going on here. But here's the thing. It's time to stop struggling with things and realize I was bought at a price. I don't belong to me. When somebody acts up, gets on my nerves, whatever, it's not about me. It's about God. I have to walk the right walk. But see, again... We sometimes get caught up in these things. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. You say, well, just in the heat of the moment, you just can't help it. I think you can help it. If you're training yourself to be godly. Will we make mistakes? Absolutely. Everybody's going to make mistakes. We all do. But the issue is, are you training yourself to be better? Let me give you an example. We have church at 10 o'clock every Sunday. Are you training yourself to get here before 10 o'clock? So you trained yourself to get to work and school on time, but are you training yourself to get here by, before 10 o'clock? Or is this just kind of like, oh, what happens, happens, because, you know, God's grace covers me. Seriously? So are you training yourself to be godly? But what difference does it make if I get here at 10.04 or 10.05? But what difference does it make if Jesus comes at 10 o'clock and you're here at 10.04? A whole lot of difference. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. It says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. The Bible's true, regardless of what Kanye West says. It is not a choice. Anyway, let me move on. Sorry. 
Had a little flashback. Verse 19, for it is commendable if a man bears up under pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in the steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus was mistreated, when they spit on him, he didn't retaliate. When they punched him in the face, he didn't retaliate. They flogged him. They made him carry his cross. They nailed him to the cross. He did not retaliate. And you say, well, that was an intense situation. Yeah, but you've got to remember, the whole time he had the power to stop it all at any moment. Man, sometimes we jam our toe at home and we want to destroy that piece of furniture. If we could, boom, we blow it up. So he had the power to blow it up. But he said, you know what? I'm going to entrust to him who judges justice. Guys, we got to think, do I really entrust to God my life? Things that's going on, am I really going to trust that God has what's best in my hand? It didn't work out with this relationship. Do I trust God? It didn't work out here the way I thought it would in my discipling partnership. Do I trust God? This mission team is acting crazy. Do I trust God? This ministry, why do I want to go to a purity ministry? I'm pure enough. Do you trust God? We're going to need a crazy ministry pretty soon. That's the case. But we've got to understand, we need to trust God in situations. Now, again, it's easy to say that right now, but when you're in the heat of it, it's not as always easy to remember. Thus, we need other people in our lives to help us remember, take this back to God. Take this back to God. Over and over and over. How can you do that? Because I was bought at a price. I belong to God. See, this is the thing about Samuel. Let's go back there real quick as we close out. First Samuel chapter 8. Let's go back there. First Samuel chapter 8. Again, when they asked for a king, this is what the Lord said. Now listen to them in verse 9. First Samuel 8 verse 9. And listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them, will do. So Samuel says, okay, guys, you want a king? Let me just be sure you understand what's happening. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 12. 1 Samuel 12, verse 16. 16 through 25. Samuel says, now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. It is not we." harvest now? Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. 
Then Samuel called upon the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we did, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of this great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make us his own. As for me, far be it for me if I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. So here's the thing. God said you need to warn them about what's going on. So he says, okay, you want a king? You don't want me, but you want a king? That's fine. But let me tell you this. Even though you don't want me, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm still going to pray for you. Even though you don't want me, that's a sad thing, but I'm still going to tell you what the right thing is to do in your life. You say you don't want me, but you know what? It's not about me. It's about God. So even though they said, we don't want you or your sons, he said, I hear you, but I'm still going to pray for you. I hear you, but I'm still going to correct you when I see you doing wrong. This needs to be our attitude, brothers and sisters. Even if somebody doesn't want you in their life, pray for them. Even if they're still putting up walls, you know what? They may not have a sit-down discussion with you, but you still point out things that need to change in their life, and you go on about your business. Whether they change or not, that's between them and God. But it is ungodly for us to not pray for somebody and to not point out the things we see in their life. Samuel said, you guys are coming on me. You don't want me. You're rejecting me. I understand. I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm still going to pray for you, and I'm still going to point out stuff that needs to change. That's just how it is. Guys, I want to encourage you with that because that's how you need to help not just the minister, but everybody feel I'm getting prayers and I'm getting people helping me. Let me close out with this story about a man who proved his point even to his dying day. His name was Maximilian Kobe, a Catholic priest who was a prisoner at the Oshavitz in August 1941. A prisoner escaped from camp, and in reprisal, the Nazis ordered that 10 prisoners had to die by starvation. Kobe ordered to take the place, uh, uh, asked to take the place of one of the condemned men. The Nazis kept Kobe in a starvation bunker for two weeks, and then put him to death by lethal injection on August 14, 1941. Thirty years later, a survivor described the effects of Kobe's actions. It was an enormous shock to the whole camp. We became aware that someone among us in this spiritual dark night of a soul was raising a standard of love on high. Someone unknown, like everybody else, tortured and bereaved of name and social standing, went on to a horrible death for the sake of someone not even related to him. Therefore, it is not true, we cried, 
that humanity is cast down and trampled in the mud, overcome by oppressors and overwhelmed by hopelessness. Thousands of prisoners were convinced the true world continued to exist and that our torturers would not be able to destroy it. To say that Father Kobe died for us, for a person's family, is too great a simplification. His death was a salvation of thousands. We were stunned by his act, which became for us a mighty explosion of light in the dark camp. It is doubtful that any of us will be called upon to face death to be servants of those around us. But every time we decided that we're going to serve others who have offended us, that we're going to pray for them and work with them and minister with them, we die to our own needs and end up serving God with a lot of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. It's when we realize it's not about us that we can change and be the best for God. How do you become a great Christian? How do you become a faithful Christian all the days of your life? Realize it's not about you. It's all about God. Don't take it personal. Don't get offended. Don't get upset. Trust in him who judges justice. It doesn't mean that it, we're, we're, we're thinking crazy. No, 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 no. We have legitimate hurts in our life, but how you deal with the hurt is what counts. Truly, Samuel was a man that was rejected by man, but honored by God, because he realized it's not about me, it's about God. And to God be the glory. Amen.